Welcome, everybody, to episode 13 of the Katie and Me podcast. As always, I am Chris Hutchinson, and I am joined by my co-host, Katie Rogers. Katie, how are you? I'm great, Chris. How are you? I'm good. We are still in the midst of a pandemic. I don't know if you heard anything about that or not. I've heard. Yeah, yeah. So we are still doing our show via Zoom. So we are not in the studio, but uh, we're making the best of the situation. And as always, we are joined by producer Pete. So he always makes things sound as good as possible, although the Zoom platform is a good one. But uh, it's a little bit different not having actual microphones and soundproofing around us. But uh, we're giving it our best shot. Thanks, Pete. Before we jump in, I'd just like to mention our show partner, Audible. Audible is the leading provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, ranging from bestsellers to celebrity memoirs, news, business, and self-development. Audible helps people get more stories and information through the gift of found time. You can use your newfound time to learn something new, share some cool content with your family, or relieve stress by enjoying thousands of available titles. That was easy for me to say. To get a free trial today, please visit audibletrial.com backslash Katie and Me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. So Katie, good to see you. Um, I know that you have a pretty cool topic today. You are going to talk a little bit about the evolution of language. I'm interested to hear about this because I think it'll tie in nicely with with my topic as well. But do you want to kick us off and talk a little bit about the evolution of language? Sure, I would love to. And I have to start by telling on myself a little bit. So at some point in college, I decided that I had certain pet peeves and cared very much about grammar. And I couldn't stand like frivolous prepositions hanging at the ends of sentences. It drove me crazy. And it was technically wrong. But so I had were one writing. of the initial grammar police people then? Oh, I was really bad. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I was, hey, it's been a couple decades to be fair. So um, <laughs> you were the original terrible. grammar police, though. Yeah. You, were, you started I was the movement. Terrible. I was terrible. So I, I, would, um, it, it, I would correct people. And it's one thing, like, if there's an object, but if there's no object, right? And I would just, I, I was just like, oh, why are people just destroying the language? <laughs> then I learned a bunch of stuff. <laughs> As always happens, right? Like, I'll right. run my mouth and think I think something, and then I'll learn a bunch of stuff. So I'm really, I'll be interested to see how these podcasts age in 10 and 20 years. <laughs> uh, <laughs> people are going to go back through them and, like, pick apart your grammar. You're going to no, get, like, I all might. this email. Oh, <laughs> Gotcha. Anyway, yeah. So, so I started on kind of a journey to learn how language evolves. Mm-hmm. And really, it started with that obsession with grammar. It started with, I was doing a different kind of writing than I had been doing. And so I had to learn all these things. And then I started using AP style more as I started writing for newspapers and some news mm-hmm. outlets. And as I looked at the differences, I thought, well, some of this seems and is admittedly arbitrary, but we were seeking a standardization within professions or within styles or whatever. Sure. And I started studying it and I learned so much about where English came from and how we do like a forensic analysis of the origins of language, like a very broad spectrum, right? Like I'm waving my arms right now. No one can see this, but <laughs> um, it's very broad, oh, you know, from, Zoom, yeah, <laughs> right. Like it, it's Germanic and French and Latin origins and, and what's old English and just all these kinds of things. And you can't look at how language evolves in a macro sense and then still be quite as critical 
of its evolution in a micro sense. Okay. And so, so explain I, that to, to explain that to lay people like myself. Okay. So can you, can you break that down a little bit? Yes, absolutely. For those that may not be as familiar with macro and micro. Right. So English itself came from languages being exposed to each other through just normal human migration or migratory, right? Mm -hmm. So as groups of people moved around the planet, they started adapting languages to the new group and we ended up where we are today, right? And we have Mm -hmm. kind of major linguistic groups and those are even up for debate, but you've got Latin-based languages or Germanic-based languages or, you know, all kinds of things. Um, So that's kind of the, the big picture Mm-hmm. of the origin of our language. But if you listen to Old English or try and read it, it is right. obviously not what we're speaking. Sure. Very obviously. I mean, would, that, some, would Shakespearean be considered Old English or even earlier than that? I'm talking earlier than that, but yes, Shakespeare is hard for us to understand and that is a variant of Old English. And so I noticed though in myself, I would bristle as I got older at new words at slang, mm. at okay. things that had been, I remember when we used to say ain't, ain't a word. Mm-hmm. And then they put it in the damn dictionary. <laughs> and I was like, what? This is a violation of all things sacred and holy. You can't, you can't say ain't. I grew up like that was a big deal. Right. Um, and that, by the way, is social signaling to, mm. to speak a certain way. And right. that signals where you're from and what your social group is. And so and so um, I noticed myself bristling at things. This would be the micro part. I would bristle mm-hmm. at a new word. People saying, what's up? And sup? And, you know, just all these different things. And then I got a little curious about, as I moved to the southern U.S., and I read some articles about how some students there would go away to college and they would lose their accent from mm-hmm. the region, right? Okay. They would lose their southern Draw. Draw, yeah. And that got really interesting to me. And I went, well, what's correct? Right? Like, this Mm -hmm. is a reflection of where they're from. But at the same time, some of it really doesn't sound like what I would call proper English. I use that in quotes. Mm -hmm. And I've gotten a lot more laid back about this. Oxford adds about a thousand words a year to the English dictionary. Okay. So obviously, the gatekeepers of our language are a lot more flexible than my uptight, almost Karen esque. Approach was, and, um, you see, said it, not me. That, but that's a, but that's a perfect example of watching our language evolve. Is that we knew what I meant right there? Right. Right. Yeah, Two absolutely. years ago, not a thing. Right. Absolutely not a thing. I personally love what I've picked up from some younger people in my life, where they just say because and then a single word. Mm, right. They're like, right. because racism, and right. you're like, yeah. oh, I know what you're talking about. But a few years ago, I was like, what was, did, yeah, what just happened? <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, so these are all, this is, but this is normal and this is natural and this is what language has always done. But let me interrupt. I'm so sorry, okay. but let me interrupt because it's important. So you, you mentioned that Oxford dictionary adds about a thousand, thousand words a year, give or oh. take, but that's not even taking into account things like Urban Dictionary or all these things that have kind of evolved online that are more like slang or, you know, everyday speak. And so to me, it's interesting. So, so, you know, let's, 
from our background, I mean, I, we had an Oxford dictionary in our house. And anytime I asked what I didn't know what something was, my dad would be like, go look it up. I mean, mm-hmm. so that was, it was like a training tool in our house. Right. And so, you know, that, that's kind of how my upbringing was. Now, kids today, they may not even know that there were such things as physical dictionary books that, you know, we grew up with as like a training mechanism. They will just go and look it up online. And so the delivery of that content, although I would still probably hold Oxford in the highest regard, but there are times, depending on what day of the week it is or what stage in the weekend it is where I may go and look something up on urban dictionary because I heard my daughter or one of her friends say it, or I may have had a couple beers and one of my friends said something. And so even the way that you access that information now is differently or is different, which I think that's is That's another way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a perfect example because that's another way that language evolves. So it evolves as we take words from other languages. I mean, we're all used to that. Mm-hmm. Say, you know, uh, a soiree or apropos, whatever. Like we do that all the time, but also language evolves to fill gaps right. because culture evolves and the world evolves and internet wasn't a thing and we came up with it and it needs a word. And you know what I mean? So we have all of these COVID-19, right? Coronavirus yeah. disease from 2019, mm-hmm. one word. Wait, you mean it's so- not the 19th version of it? <laughs> no, sorry. I know. I know. Sorry, that's not how that came about. <laughs> oh, it's not okay. <laughs> <laughs> Throw back to last month, right? Um, yeah. So, so yeah. So I mean, but we we language builds as as the world builds, and we have to fill gaps, and we have to have words for those things. And and there are two camps really. And so there's prescriptivism, which is like the purists. They're really into standardization of language and everything being fixed, and they think of it as kind of immutable. And okay. then there's descriptivist. So I was more of a prescriptivist. Like I wanted prescriptivist. I wanted everything to be really fixed and there to be rules. Right. Mm -hmm. And some people are like that. They prefer order to justice kind of people. Right. Right. And I've become more of a descriptivist in that now I can appreciate why it's happening. I go, well, I get that it's hard to think you've learned something and then still have to be constantly learning, but that really is kind of the nature of aging and that's how the world works. So I've become someone who kind of embraces this and I'm not saying like I pick up all the slangs and I look at urban dictionary often and things like that. But when my kids use terms that I don't understand, I ask them what they mean and Mm -hmm. I may or may not adopt them, but I'm going to accept some of the onus for making that communication effective between us, okay? And most of that falls to the speaker. I need to understand that when I'm speaking to someone who's 90, I will pull back on the things that didn't exist linguistically, you know, as You're, opposed to- You have to know to your audience, right? You have to know your audience, right? Right, exactly, knowing your audience, because some of, some of that falls on the audience, but most of understanding needs to, to lay on the shoulders of the speaker, the communicator. Right. So if, let me if, ask you another question. Sorry, yes. I'm interested in this. And no, you're so good. I'm okay. interested in all your topics. But so in, in, I'll just throw this out there because I've mentioned it before. I, I went and I pursued two traditional degrees from higher ed. I have a master of science degree and I have a bachelor of arts degree. And one could argue that there was this kind of longstanding uh, ivory tower elitism associated with people that went on and pursued degrees in higher education. And if they were speaking in a certain way and their audience maybe wasn't understanding 
the words that they were using, the kind of the, the negative could be thrown on the on the person that is giving the talk, that is that is using words that their audience doesn't understand. And there's maybe this already then an invisible barrier being formed between the speaker and the audience because of how that person was choosing their words. Absolutely. One one could argue that folks need to in order to be really heard and, and taken seriously and not viewed as, I mean, you almost politicize everything now, but not be viewed as someone that is intentionally trying to belittle their audience by using overeducated words, that you really now have to be even more careful in how you present information. And I'm not saying that I'm all for the dumbing down of how we communicate, but there is that fear that if you kind of come across as this overeducated ivory tower elitist that your message by at least a significant percentage of people in this country or in the world are just going to write you off as, as someone who, who's invalid. Well, right. You because you're failing that? to communicate. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. so there's absolutely, it's rests on the shoulders of the speaker to do their best to, like you said, know the audience and to effectively communicate with them and put that communication above their own ego, above their own vocabulary, above all of it. And I struggle with that sometimes as I've moved around. Some words are more common in some parts of the country and not in others. And I've lost audiences or failed to get a thought across because I'm using language that, say, in Indiana – I grew up with people using, but mm-hmm. in South Georgia, they hadn't heard it called that or, right. you know, but yes, absolutely. In academia, and it, this is a problem with scientists and academics in general, they have a hard yeah. time taking their, because they're so used to using it. I do this with agriculture language. You're so used to it that it doesn't even click with you most of the time to peel that back and make it something more pedestrian or layman or that someone outside the industry would understand. And that is a huge failure to communicate. and you're missing the whole point of what you're doing if you can't effectively do that. And I've been guilty of it multiple times. I I agree with you. And I think that I've probably been guilty of it as well. And 15 years ago, um, maybe even 20 years ago, I'd like to, I'd like to take my master's research out for a drive and I'd like to like use that language and talk about stuff and arrogantly, whether I, you know, meant to or not, we can argue that, but when people literally didn't understand, I almost took that as a little bit of a badge of honor. I was like, look at me, I'm smart. Like, look at all this stuff I did. And <laughs> now huge. I look, yeah, I mean, yeah. you know, stroking my own ego, great way to, way to be humble, Hutch. But now looking back on that, that today, you really, it's less about you. And I say this a lot, it's we, not me, right? So mm-hmm. particularly in today's divisive world where everyone's like, let's come to the middle and let's have, let's have conversations in the middle. Well, hell, if we don't figure out how to communicate so that a broader audience can understand, or if we can't even check how we present information, then, you know, we're not going to be successful. And I do, you know, I'm, I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth here. I, again, I'm not supporting that we just dumb everything down. I do think that there, there should be some motivation to learn and learn new things and strive for knowledge. I think that's what Mm -hmm. makes human beings unique and that they have the ability to to try and do that. But there's also a time and a place, right? And and maybe trying to (laughs) show off your, your intellect when you're talking about a broad range of issues, maybe that's not necessarily the time to do it. Well, and I agree with you. And, and, you know, it goes back to that core concept is the point to social signal 
that you're educated or that you're from a certain group or whatever, or, or that you value Shakespeare randomly Shakespearean English, or is the point to communicate connect. an idea and connect with other humans and have information flow. And it is the most obnoxiously arrogant thing in the world when people intentionally use vocabulary mm-hmm. that is outside of their audiences per right. view, I think. Yeah. I agree. And so that, I mean, so that puts some of the onus then on, on the, on the presenter, right? Where in the past, well, most think, of it, I think. Yeah. In yeah. the past you were like, well, if they don't get it, then it's on them to up to me. Right. But you know, now I think you have to be, you have to be cognizant of who you're talking to. And if you really care about what your message is, then you should care about how it's presented. So I don't know. I think that that's really, really interesting stuff, Katie. That's probably a good, good place for us to maybe make a little segue unless you had any other, any other last minute thoughts. No, I just think this is a really good concept to keep in mind as we roll into other topics in our culture. Cause I see sometimes pushback all over communication. And so. I think, you know, and he- hearing the way you said it, it kind of rang, rang true with me. I, th- there is, I need to probably take a step back and con- be concerned more about what is the message and not necessarily, you know, how many $8 words I can use to convey it. Right. So uh, what's, what's my end goal. And so I think that, I think that's a really, really good point. Well, thank you for that, Katie. As always, I just want to thank again, our show partner audible. If you are interested in getting a free trial of audible, please visit audibletrial.com backslash Katie and me podcast. And Katie is always spelled K-A-T-Y. And I always feel good about highlighting Audible because I know that Katie is a massive Audible fanatic. So uh, yeah. we, only, we, only, we only show partner with folks that um, are products that we utilize. So, yeah. um, well, I want to talk a little bit about, I'm not going to get into where I work. A lot of people that know me do know, but part of my job now is engaging with communities across the state and beyond. And I had a really good opportunity last week as, as part of my job. Uh, the Indy Chamber, Indianapolis Chamber, was, was hosting some conversations with uh, a variety of leaders in different areas across the state uh, related to Black Lives Matter movement. And so I was part of a Beyond Black Lighters, Black Lives Matter movement conversation with faith leaders from um, a variety of different diverse backgrounds primarily minority faith leaders and, and, and uh, pastors in traditional African-American churches around the community. Mm-hmm. It was, a, again, it was a call sponsored by the Indy Chamber, and uh, there was a wide variety of people that were attending the call. And I've talked a lot with friends, and I've kind of made my points. I've kind of stated where I stand on Black Lives Matter. I've been very outspoken about it. I am a supporter of Black Lives Matter. And instead of Presenting that on Twitter or Facebook or having conversations with people that I already know agree with that movement, I wanted to learn more and I wanted to I wanted to listen to some different perspectives and try and educate myself. And so, you know, I learned a, a, a really a, a great deal of things on this call, this open forum. The first being that, you know, one of the most important things is is listening and not just hearing. You can be present and you can hear what's being said, or you can literally shut your mouth and really listen to these different perspectives, different from me, because 
I'm a straight white male. Uh, I'm not a minority by any stretch of the imagination. I, my skin color hasn't been a barrier to anything that I've had to, you know, endure in my life. So I really wanted to, as much as I want to be an ally and be a supporter and be vocal, I really forced myself to just shut up and listen what was being said. Good. Instead of, yeah, and you know me, that's, that's not always my strong suit. I want to rush in and solve everything, right? I'm always the first with a suggestion or why not this, right? Yeah. And so I really, really made myself not say anything. Um, I had a, it was on a Zoom call. I had, um, I asked a question directly to one of the pastors because what he spoke of related directly to my to my job and there was an opportunity there and I just texted him a question but I didn't I didn't command the whole audience I didn't throw it out there for everyone to be like hey look at me I'm engaged I'm involved and he responded back and we exchanged emails and after the call we then you know had additional conversation but I intentionally did not want to be the white ally that's showing look I'm engaged in the conversation Look at this really intelligent question I'm I'm asking, and and insert myself into a conversation where I just felt like it was really important for me to listen and not rush to try and like come up with solutions. So, we all need to internalize. Yeah, and you know I think it's a good reminder, not in just this instance, but specifically in this instance. But I'm going to try and do more of that, whether it's with colleagues or opponents of, you know, points of view, as long as there is healthy debate and, and mutual respect, it shouldn't necessarily be a race to say, who's going who's gonna to say the next sentence or the, yeah, but what about, you know, right. listen, let's, let's try and listen to each other and not just hear additional noise. That was, that was interesting to me. And, and it was a good exercise for me to try and follow. And one of the things that came out of this that I, that I listened and heard in this conversation was that these faith leaders were really strongly suggesting that there's a need for independent, non-elected, and non-special interest, uh, non-special interest funded citizen task force, kind of like review council, particularly mm-hmm. on on police violence and, and police practices. And again, boy, that sounds like a great topic that I sure would love to jump in and, and like share my two cents on. But but I, you know, I resisted because I that idea had never really crossed my mind before. You know why? Well, because I probably am not targeted like most minorities may be. So I don't really, my input doesn't really matter here. I'd like to hear what they say and why they felt that this was important. And they got into the history of how Indianapolis had tried to do this in the past, but these kind of citizen councils didn't have enough teeth and there was enough, enough like financial impact and contributions from other organizations that, that really kind of took any power away from from these citizen review boards. And the conversation continued about, this is why we think it's important. This is how we think it should be implemented. And finally, there was an opportunity where I felt like some of my skills might be valuable here. And so I kind of questioned to the group. I said, totally agree, but what are the next steps? What does the timeline look like for this? What are the action items we need to do now? And so then that kind of spun up this conversation of these faith leaders were mentioning, you know, we're so tired of having these conversations. We're thankful that they're occurring. We're fortunate that Indianapolis is a city that does care about its minorities and they want our input, but we've had these conversations for decades. Mm -hmm. Now it's time for some action items and next steps. 
And what happened, Katie, that was awesome is that as the call was wrapping, and there were three more of these calls uh, throughout the week, but this happened to be the only one that my schedule allowed me to, to participate in. And so we were kind of going through a wrap up of the call. And again, I just threw out a message and I'm sure they would have gotten it, but I was like, let's not forget to capture action items and next steps. And so sure enough, the, the chamber members that were this board that, that are hosting these calls, they came up with an action item and they said, we will follow up with an email to everybody on this call by end of tonight. And then we we're going to identify what those next steps are. And that to me was like at least a step in a, in a really positive direction. And I was glad to see that there are tangible action items that are going to occur out of this. There's one other key point. I know I'm all excited and I'm babbling here, but bear with me. Yeah, that's great. So one of the other pieces out of that listening component was that we uncovered a number of resources that are available that the communication channels themselves just, they've been kind of broken. And so one of the one of the cool things that came out of this call is that there is an app developed by some local developers. It's called Community Compass. And it is an app that you can download that identifies where folks are in that are in need, uh, and particularly minorities, but where they can go and get free meals, where there's free groceries available, uh, where there are WIC retailers or clinics. And if you're not familiar, WIC is women, infants, and children, retailers and clinics, and then SNAP retailers, which is assistance, uh, financial assistance. So a lot of these faith community leaders hadn't even heard of that app. And they are, and to their words, not mine, they are with these communities that can benefit sometimes the most from having mm-hmm. access to this. Mm-hmm. And so just that uh, evolvement in a short, in an hour call of understanding, okay, there's these resources, here's how we can go and get them. We can have our community members download these on their phone if they need it and, and go and start utilizing these. That was like a big win that mm-hmm. happened out of having people that were willing to listen, hear opportunities where they may know something that can have an immediate impact and mm-hmm. share that. And so it was, it was, it was pretty cool. It was cool to be a part of it. I talk a lot. Uh, everybody knows that, but it was nice to, to be able to, to shut up and listen out of listening. Uh, we've, we've identified some additional opportunities. So I then after the follow-up email went out to everybody, I reached out specifically to some of the faith leaders and what I do with my job and share with them, Hey, here's what we have going on right now. There are people that have the ability to essentially have their tuition paid for to go and get training in high paying jobs, you know, across the state. Is there a way that the organization I work for could align with your communities and start finding people that have been displaced or out of work that need jobs in areas that are still hiring? And so we're having a, we're having our own conference on Tuesday where we're going to meet with all these community leaders. We're going to walk them through the, the, the technology programs that, that we offer, how they can go about getting uh, cares act funds to the state of Indiana, how they can uh, utilize work one or unemployment dollars to pay for uh, in some instances, full, full degree pro or full, full certification programs. So that wouldn't have happened if I had just went in guns a blazing and was trying to problem solve instead of listening and hearing what was going on. So, um, that, that was one really interesting thing that happened last week. And, and a thing that I was, that I was really, really yeah, excited to be a yeah, part of. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, you make such an excellent point. I have heard this from my, my friends that are in different communities that, 
we need to spend a lot more time listening, a lot less time trying to prove we're allies. And um, I know that I was in a Zoom call about a week ago and somebody said they had just learned an important lesson. It was a, it was a church group and, and uh, my farm is, is under a nonprofit that's run by a church, right? Mm-hmm. So, so mm-hmm. I'm a church employee, and, um, which is kind of funny. And um, <laughs> they, uh, they were talking about how they said, oh, we need to lift up our black brothers and sisters right now. And someone came up to them and said, you don't need to lift people up because that's the white savior thing. You really need to get out of the way, mm-hmm. you know, like yeah. and I thought, Oh, that's probably something that we needed to hear. Right. Yeah. And that's kind of what I'm hearing from you. It's like, yeah. I'm not here to talk. I'm here to listen. That is critical because that's our role in this situation. Couldn't agree more. And uh, you don't always have to try and save someone just shut up and listen and provide resources. Uh, and sometimes that, is more instrumental than trying to be the the catch-all, you know, right. white savior that you mentioned. Right, so. and and I think it's really important that it, from listening comes knowing when to act and how to act. And mm-hmm. we have a tendency to talk more than we listen, and I think we miss out on where we could really be helpful or how what's happening. I think we mm-hmm. lose a lot when we're running our mouths, says the girl who's always talking. <laughs> I know. You and I are like, <laughs> I'm laughing only because you and I have never been short on words. So, um, but w- with that, uh, I think that may be a good time to end this episode. Uh, I did want to remind our listeners that if you are interested in providing show ideas, we are still going to try and get back to the concept of understanding what professions, uh, what they want people to know about their mm-hmm. job. Obviously, we've taken a little bit of a break from that format just because of uh, coronavirus. But if you are interested in telling us about your job and what you wish people knew about your job, feel free to email us your show idea to either Chris or Katie and I at chrisandkatieandme.com or katie at katieandme.com. And Chris is C-H-R-I-S and Katie is K-A-T-Y. We would love to hear from you. Please shoot us an email and uh, hopefully we'll get some of your content on a future episode. Anything else from you, Katie? No, it was great, Chris. Thank you. Great to see you. Thanks, everybody.